Well, today we get to start a new sermon series that I've titled True Worship. As Brandon and Haley have taken over, we thought it would be, you know, taking over the, the leadership of our Sunday mornings, we thought it would be good to circle back around to consider why are Sunday mornings important? Why do we gather to do what we do? What is worship? And why does it matter? And so in order to get our uh, minds thinking about these questions, I thought I would show you a clip from a very profound movie, a masterpiece that is called Peter the Rabbit. That is the season of life we're in. This is the world we live in right here. So when you watch this clip from this movie, Peter the Rabbit, a movie we watched with the boys Friday night, I want you to determine what Thomas is worshiping. I also challenge you to think about how you would define his worship. Roll the clip. I always wanted to say that. Roll it. Thomas McGregor, or as he's known in the store where he works, Mr. McGregor. You're seeing him at his happiest, preparing his troops for battle. People who say you can't control everything haven't met this, Mr. McGregor. 72.043 degrees, the angle at which Apollo 13 was launched. I know, Carlos, you think I'm crazy, but the little girl who wants to be an astronaut is going to know, and you've just blown up her dreams. This is a nightmare. You've got to toss and fluff, toss and fluff. It's the small things. You mustn't be afraid to really get in there, gang. Our toilets should be clean as a drinking fountain. Mr. McGregor, the general manager has asked to see you. This is it, my promotion. They said it could be this week. How do I look? Like a man about to drink toilet water from a straw? Perfect. I have some bad news, Thomas. No. Your great uncle passed away. I just received word. I'm very sorry. I didn't even know I had a great uncle. What about the promotion? Excuse me? The associate general manager, the, the post I've been working towards for the last 10 years. You're in shock. I understand. In times of grief. No, there's no grief. Uh, I just want to know did I get the promotion or not? No. It went to Bannerman. Bannerman? But he is an imbecile. I mean, he's not even that. To be rightfully called an imbecile would be aspirational for Nigel Bannerman. But he also happens to be the managing director's nephew. So you're promoting a flagrantly unqualified halfwit to a position of immense importance based purely on nepotism. This is Great Britain. It's practically written in our charter. You think I want our best man passed over? Well, then don't pass me over. This is not the time to be thinking about work, Thomas. Mm. Take some time. Take as much time as you like. No, I don't want time! I'm uh, sorry. I don't want... I'm sorry. I want the promotion is the thing, and I deserve the promotion. Give me the promotion, June. I won't tell anyone. Please. Give me the promotion. Sorry. I'm sorry, sir. It's all right. Maybe next yeah. time. What up, Bannerman. Congratulations. I didn't even want it. I was in Ibiza last night. <laughs> Heavy lies the crown, yeah? I'm taking a break. I'll be in my big office. Oh! 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 
I'm sorry. This might actually be a blessing in disguise. Get some perspective. Get a hobby. Get some dirt underneath your fingernails. You sound like every employer, teacher, family member, friend, and vague acquaintance I've ever had. I'm going to take your name tag now, Thomas. No, Welcome to Harrods. I hope you enjoy drinking dirty toilet water. Might I suggest some time in the country? <laughs> so what, what was Thomas worshipping? How would you define that worship? We're going to consider these questions. Let's pray and we will do that. We'll read our scripture passage for today. And uh, yeah. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for you. Um, Lord, you created us as worshipers, and um, Lord, we have to choose wise, wisely because it really, <laughs> it's what we were created for, and it will impact us like no other decision that we could possibly make will impact us. Lord, we ask that you would help us through the study of your word to understand a bit more about worship so that we can love you with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind, and so that we may love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, let's check out. We're going to look at Romans 12. This is a classic text on worship. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. So let's check it out. I always encourage you to really try and soak in every word. I know it's easy to become distracted, but God's word is what our souls need, needs to, to be sustained. So we, let's, let's hone in here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this passage as well as some other passages to answer these four questions. What is worship? Who is a worshiper? How do we determine what we worship? And why is knowing what we worship such a big deal? So let's look at that first question. What is worship? Worship is a word that we use a lot in Christian circles, don't we? It's a word that we use in a variety of ways. We use it to describe the singing portion of our Sunday service. We use it to describe the type of music that we listen to in our car. We, we use it to describe the industry where this music is created and, and, and comes from, the worship industry. And because we've w- used the word worship, I think, in a lot of different ways... I think sometimes when we use a word, in so many ways, we lose the essence of the word, and often we lose the true meaning of the word. And I think this has happened a bit with worship. If you were to look up the word worship in the dictionary, this is what you would find. It means to show reverence and adoration for. Well, what does it mean to revere something. Well, to revere something means to feel deep respect and admiration for it. What does it mean to adore something? That means to love something deeply. And so you can say at a very basic level that worship is, based on the dictionary's definition of worship, it means to feel and or express deep respect, admiration, and love for something or someone. Now, the Bible tells us that worship is not less than this definition, but it's also more than this definition. Worship, according to the Bible, doesn't just involve love, you know, deep feelings of affection and admiration for something. Worship involves love, trust, and obedience, Worship means to love, trust, and obey something or someone. So let's look at each one of these, right? So let's first look at love. In our movie, Thomas had an intense desire for that promotion at work, didn't he? He had supreme affections for it. Or maybe it was not so much the position, but it was the power or the security that that position would provide him with. So it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly what he was worshiping in his heart. Was it the position or was it the benefits that came along with the position? Was it a mixture of both? It's hard to determine, but he was extremely passionate about this promotion, wasn't he? He had a hunger, a thirst, a drive for it. In today's passage, Paul, he exhorts the Romans, 
He says, in light of God's mercy to worship by offering our bodies as living sacrifice. It's as if Paul is saying to us, look at how much God loved you. Now love him in return. Other passages in the Bible, they speak of, the, they speak of worship as a marriage. They speak of it in t- using the metaphor of marriage. And by doing so, what, what these passages highlight is that worship is about love. If you were to look at the book of Hosea, which is a classic example of this, the book of Hosea imagines the nation of Israel in a marriage relationship with God and then describes that Israel played the harlot by loving other false gods instead. In other words, Israel's affections, their desires, their, their hunger, their thirst of their heart was for false gods. They treasured and cherished false gods in, your, in their heart. You see, love, love and worship is, is about the emotions and the affections and the passions and the desires of our hearts. Worship happens in the heart. So I want you to connect love with the heart in worship. Let's look at trust. Worship not only means to love, but it also means to trust. You know, to worship something, you have to trust and believe that that thing you're worshiping or that person you're worshiping has supreme value, that they are worth your worship, that what you're worshiping can pr- provide you with the significance and the satisfaction and the security that you're looking for in life. Thomas assigns supreme worth to the promotion at work, that job that he wanted at work, because he was trusting with his mind that that position would give him the desires of his heart. You see, trusting involves our minds, doesn't it? So worship doesn't only happen in your heart, it happens in your mind as well. It's about, tr- it's about trust. What do you trust with your thoughts? Love, heart, trust, mind. In my mind, I believe that X, whatever I'm worshiping, can provide me with what I really need. In my mind, I believe that the information that I have about X, whatever it is, makes X worthy of my love, my heart. And that's why Paul, in our passage, you see him exhorting the Romans, hey, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Why? So that the Romans could think rightly about God, so that they could know who God really was, so that they could know how valuable God was in his, so that they could know his will. And so therefore, they could find security, significance, and satisfaction in God. Jeremiah 2 also illustrates that part of worship is trust. So Israel, they were trusting in the Egyptians and the Assyrians to provide them with the national security that they wanted from foreign nations. And guess what Jeremiah calls this in chapter 2 of the book of Jeremiah? He calls this 
worship. It's a, he calls it idolatry because he viewed them, Israel, trusting these foreign nations for security as worship. And so we love, our, we love with our hearts what we have trusted and assigned supreme worth to in our minds, right? So you got it? Love, heart, trust, mind. Now we go to obedience. Worshiping something means to obey it and serve it. You know, obedience most often involves our hands. What we do with our hands, what we do with our words, what we do with our lifestyle. You know, for the last 10 years, Thomas in our movie said that he was obeying, he implies that he was obeying with his hands, serving with his hands, this God of this position that he was working towards. He most likely worked long hours. He most likely excelled at the responsibilities that were given to him in his job. He most likely never took a vacation or very rarely missed work due to illness. With his hands, he obeyed, served, and made sacrifices to obtain the promotion. Worshiping, worship happens with our hands. In verses 3 through 21 of Romans 12, our passage that I read to you, what Paul is describing is like, look, what you worship with your minds and your heart, it should work itself out with your hands in a life of obedience and service. And he outlines what that should look like in verses 3 through 21 of our passage. So what is worship according to the Bible? Let me offer you this definition. Worship is loving something supremely with your heart, trusting something supremely with your mind, and obeying and serving something supremely with your hands. That is worship. Love, trust, obedience. Head, heart, mind. Let's seek to answer the second question. Who is a worshiper? Who is a worshiper? Is it only the religious types that are worshipers? Well, the Bible makes it clear that we are all worshipers. The only choice we get is not whether or not we worship. It's who we worship. You're a worshiper I'm a worshiper, your family members are worshipers, your extended family members are worshipers, your co-workers are worshipers, every person that you will encounter today is a worshiper. That's not the question. The question is, what or whom are they worshiping? You know, the Ten Commandments, if you look at the first two of the Ten Commandments, assumes that everybody is a worshiper. They state, you shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself any idol, nor bow down to it or worship it. The Ten Commandments state there are only two categories of people. There are only people that worship God, or there are people that worship idols, false gods. Those are only two types of people in the world. It, the Ten Commandments don't, do not address a category of people that don't worship anything. We are all worshipers. Now, 
We've all got to live for something, right? So the question is, what are we worshiping? It's hardwired in us. We all love something supremely. We all trust something supremely. And we all obey something supremely with our head, our heart, and our minds. What is it? What is worship and whom or what are we worshiping are the two most important questions you could possibly ask yourself. And we very rarely do it. We often get so caught up in a whirlwind of activity with our hands that we do not take time to consider what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. A lot of people don't know that they're a worshiper, and they don't know what they are worshiping. And perhaps you're here this morning, and you've never considered these questions. You've never considered that you're a worshiper and that you are worshiping something. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have considered the question, but you haven't in a long time and you've forgotten that you are a worshiper and that you are currently worshiping something. And that with every decision you will make today, you will be choosing who or what you're worshiping. And so... The question becomes, how can we determine what we worship? So let's get really practical. How do we determine what we worship? Well, since worshiping something involves our head, our heart, and our hands, it makes sense that in order to determine what we're worshiping, we would look at the activity of our head, our heart, and our hands. So let's look at our heads. That's, that sounds weird. But let's consider what's in our heads, right? Don't ask your spouse what's in your head. They may say nothing. All right, so here's some questions to assess the activity of your mind. What have you assigned supreme worth to? What have you assigned supreme worth to? Is it a relationship? Is it that job like Thomas? Is it that house or that lifestyle? What do you believe is a thing that everything else in life has to defer to? What in your life trumps everything else? When your mind drifts, where does it like to go? The ideal life you're striving for? That vacation? That recognition you deserve, that comfort that you seek. In other words, what do you daydream about? What do you believe will bring you ultimate satisfaction in life? Is it family? What do you believe will bring you ultimate security in life? Is it uh, a well-funded retirement? Is it money in the bank? What do you believe will bring you ultimate significance in life? What do you worry about the most? 
That's the head. Those questions help you discern the activity of your mind. Now let's consider the heart. What are you passionate about? What would your friends, your family members, your spouse say that you're passionate about? What makes you feel the greatest joy? Is it your favorite team? Is it that girl? Is it your kids? What makes you feel the greatest sadness? What makes you feel fearful and anxious? What just ticks you off? And it makes you feel extreme anger. I think Mary, when she was reading through this, put kids for every one of these questions. Is this revealing something about the status of your heart and what we're worshiping? What makes you feel jealous? What if, or let me say this, what if you failed or failed at it or lost it would make you feel as if you didn't even want to live? What makes you feel the most self-worth of what are you the proudest? For what do you want to be known? What do you lead with in conversations? Early on, when you're talking to somebody else, what do you want to make sure that they know about you? What do you really want and expect out of life? What would really make you happy? So that's your heart. What are you treasuring and cherishing in your heart? What are you loving with your heart? Let's consider the activity of your hands. What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? Is it, is it you know, watching the game? On TV, what are your release valves? What do you do to feel better? What do you do with your hands? What do you talk about the most? So what do you do with your mouth? What are you talking about the most? What fills your calendar? And what does that say? What does that activity of your hand and your lifestyle have to say about what you worship. Here's one that Americans don't like to talk about, money. How do you spend your money, and what is your attitude towards it? You may have heard it you know, said before that Jesus spoke more about money than sex, heaven, and hell, and it is true. Why do you think he talks so much about money? One of the reasons is because it has such a way of speaking to what your heart worships is how you use your money. So what do you worship? What does your head, heart, and hands tell you about where you're looking for satisfaction, significance, and security? Now, the fourth and final question, why does this all matter? Why would we spend the next, I don't even know how many weeks yet, talking about worship? 
Why does this matter so much? Why does it matter what you supremely love, trust, and obey with your heart, your mind, and with your hands? Here's why. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. A guy by the name of Greg Beale, he wrote this book that traces this theme throughout the entire scriptures. And he writes this, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. In verse 2 of today's passage, you have Paul saying, hey, no longer, but he's basically, he's implying, he's inferring that you need to stop worshiping the world because you, he uses the word conformed, so that you are not conformed to the ways of the world. What he's saying is that what we worship, what we behold, we become. That's what he's saying. Psalm 115 speaks to this very point as well. And speaking of the Gentiles, the psalmist writes this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. You see what the psalmist is saying? That the Gentiles who worship these false gods are just as blind, have become conformed to their image. Just as blind, just as deaf, just as mute and hard-hearted as these lifeless idols that they worship. You see, what we worship, we start to mirror their traits. Worship sets the trajectory of our life, and that's why it's so important. That's why it's so critical that we talk about this in the next several weeks. It puts you either on the road, as Beale said, to restoration or to ruin. And so we must choose who or what we worship wisely because eventually we're going to take on it or that person's image, their characteristics, their attitudes, their ways. You know, we see this at a very basic level, don't we, with kids. Kids, you know, it's very typical for them to idolize and worship an athlete. And so what happens, they start to dress like that athlete. They start to wear the clothes that that the athlete wears, start to wear the shoes that the athlete endorses, starts to do their hair like the athlete. Elijah started playing all dramatically like LeBron, pretending that he's hurt all the time, right? And then miraculously, it's almost equivalent to resurrection, all of a sudden gets up and is fine. They're reflecting the image of the one that they worship. Now, people in our day and age, not, you know, obviously this is different than Psalm 115. We typically worship idols not made of metal or wood, but of th- we worship idols like career, sex, money, power, approval, comfort, control, and sports. But they also shape us in certain ways. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, he gives us some examples. Check this out. Those who worship money increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners, or customers rather than as human beings. 
Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, their practices, their past histories, and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. Thomas, in her movie, you could tell how he viewed his co-workers as a means to his own end, right? These and many other forms of idolatry combined in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives they touch. We become what we worship. What we worship shapes us detail this week, what I'm going to do is to talk about more in more detail why we should choose to worship God, why we should choose to worship him supremely with our heart, mind, and hands, why we should love, trust, and obey him. God wants us to worship him with our, our heart, our mind in our hands. That's why Jesus said in the greatest commandment, Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he goes on to say that with your hands, you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? Next week, I'm going to talk about why this is a good idea. Let's recap. What is worship? Loving something supremely with your heart, trusting something supremely with your mind, and obeying something supremely with your hands. Who is a worshiper? Everyone. How can we determine what we worship? By considering the activity of your heart, your head, and your hands. Why is knowing what we worship such a big deal? Because you will become what you worship. Let's pray. Lord, you alone are worthy of our supreme love, trust, and obedience. Um, There's a lot of reasons why, and and I look forward to really diving into those reasons next week. But one reason that we speak about every Sunday is because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. How you, who deserves all, how you have deserved, you're the one who deserves all of our obedience and service, and yet you came to serve and not be served. What, what God would leave his throne? What God would leave his, his abode to become one to become like one of his creations so that he could rescue his creation from sin and death. You, Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you for your service, your act of, of devotion to us, and, and, and that is the, one of the main reasons as to why we should love you in return, worship you in return, because you are worthy and you demonstrated that through your life death and resurrection we praise you lord i pray that each person here would truly consider and take time this week to sit with some of those questions that i threw out to them 
that they would really assess the activity of their mind, their hearts, and their hands so that they would know what they're worshiping. And Lord, if they find themselves, and if you reveal to them that they have started to look elsewhere for what their heart really needs, Lord, I pray that you would, in your love, restore them to seeking life in you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.